Welcome to the Israel Bible Podcast. My name is Cindy Parker. I am an author, a speaker, and the professor of Holy Land Studies at the Israel Bible Center. I'm passionate about reading the Bible in the physical, historical, and cultural context of its day. In this podcast, I'd like to invite you to join me as I sit down each week with other faculty members of IBC to discover new aspects of the Bible. Ah, these are some of my all-time favorite dialogues because as a modern audience reading an ancient text, we know that the Bible does not need to be rewritten, but it needs to be reread. In last week's episode, we heard an argument for why the dichotomy between Jew and Gentile is not necessarily found in the Hebrew Bible, but how the Apostle Paul seems to highlight this in his writings. He was doing something new, and why was he doing it? Well, this week we are going to continue to explore the more prevalent categorization of Jew and non-Jew in the later rabbinic or post-Pauline writings. Today's conversation between Dr. Ishai Gruber and Professor Ishai Rosensby comes from a roundtable talk called Jew versus Goy in Pauline and Rabbinic Thought. One of IBC's students said about this particular talk, quote, I find with these talks that I can fit in new pieces of my own puzzle, or maybe rather identify and discard pieces that are non-essential to me. I couldn't do it without you. Thank you for studying for me and asking the questions I didn't know I had. Ah, thanks for that comment, Renee. Today's guest, Professor Rosensby, teaches rabbinic literature in the Department of Jewish Philosophy and Talmud at Tel Aviv University. His many publications include Demonic Desires and The Body and Soul in Ancient Judaism, and with Adi Ophir, the book which was discussed last week, Goy, Israel's Other and the Birth of the Gentile. Let's start with a discussion this week of the interaction across time between some of Paul's ideas about Goy and those of the early rabbis, whose ideas were really coming first. Lean in and enjoy the conversation. So in rabbinic literature, from its very beginning, we find this very ripe idea of, you know, uh, Jew versus Gentile. It's everywhere. The, the, the Goy appears some 150 times in the Mishnah, almost in every tractate. So it's not like a specific tractate, um, Avodah right? Idolatry, or it's everywhere. And for us, it means that the Goy has a, um, a kind of fundamental role in uh, rabbinic literature, uh, which we identify as kind of defining the limits of of the law of the Torah from the outside, right? Uh, but the goy is there and the goy is obvious, right? It's it's like they, they never define the goy. It's just clear that if you're not a Jew, you're a goy. And we see a very systematic process of erasing all the in-between figures that were uh, wandering around in Second Temple literature and uh, kind of putting any possible category either in that um, side of the dichotomy or in that side. Let me just give you one tiny example. Josephus says that Herod, 
was a uh, semi-Judaeus, a half-Jew, right? At the end of the first century. And he saw, he saw no problem in, in, in this. For the rabbis, just dozens of years uh, uh, later, it's meaningless. It, it's just a meaningless concept, right? There is no hemi-Judaeus. There is no half-Jew. Uh, You're either this or that. So what happened? Right, so, so so we see the the rabbini goy, and then we go back and we see the Pauline goy, right? And we see two strong discourses where the goy is fundamental, right? If you will, to attempt to reform a sacred community, right, in which the 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 the, the goy, the goyim are a fundamental. Part and and here I come to your um, uh, question, the unavoidable question, and I delay and delay it because I don't have a very good uh, answer. But but I will kind of try to explain what what I think we know and and, and what we do not know about the uh, possible connection between these two innovations. So first, generally speaking, I believe that the rabbis were affected. And, and we're reacting to Pauline ideas. These are not um, necessarily historically Pauline ideas. They didn't make distinction between the first century and the second century, authentic uh, letters and non-authentic letters. They probably knew Paul through, they didn't read the, the letters, although um, some, many of them could read uh, uh, some Greek, but they, they didn't read Sfarim Chitzonim, right? External uh, uh, books, how much more so they didn't read uh, uh, Paul, but they had neighbors, right? They were polemicizing with, you know, Origen in the third century talks all the time about his Jewish, right, friends and informants, and Justin Martyr, right, talks about his um, discussion with this rabbi uh, trifo. So, so, you know, they lived side by side, and then and of course, for the rabbis, this was a huge theological danger, shall I say, or, or competition, because here are people who use the same canon, right, and who read it seriously in a totally different, sometimes opposite manner, right, of who are the chosen, what should they do, Right, what, what all these commandments are about, etc., etc. So I, I believe there is enough. There is no smoking gun. They don't talk about Paul, but there are enough circumstantial evidence that they react to Pauline idea about chosenness, about about the commandments, about redemption, etc. Now, what about the going? The answer is I don't know. You know, I, I was looking very closely to find, you know, the uh, hints that they they know something about the, the kind of Pauline twist of, of uh, the Goim. But the rabbis take the Goim as such an uh, kind of evident, you know, a trivial concept. The, the unlike other concept that that they kind of, uh, you know, dig into and Goim are just there. So I don't know. But since uh, I think there is enough evidence to 
general uh, evidence that the rabbis engage with Pauline ideas, I won't be surprised, okay, if this is the case in the um, um, with the goyim too. So uh, where Paul says goyim are in, okay, to, to put it very clearly, the rabbis say, no, 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 goyim are out. Let us keep them, right? And the way we narrate uh, our whole um, story of redemption, right, or, or story of obligation and chosenness is through, right, marking the and, and keeping the goyim out of the, the picture. The rabbinic conception of the goyim seems to be quite extreme, in fact. And, and you know, not it's not only keeping them out, but it's in a way, I don't know if denigrating is the right term. It certainly is sometimes, but um, considering them as less. Um, and, and you even say, I, I think you say in your introduction that they could be viewed as um, nothingness as compared to being, you know, it's quite a sharp right. um, existential type of dichotomy. You mentioned earlier that the Greeks did have a conception of them versus everyone else. And I assume here you're, you're thinking of the concept of Helens yeah. and the barbarians. Yeah. And that is also um, not a neutral division. They also, the, the Greeks saw themselves as superior to the barbarians. So I wonder if you can comment about this idea of um, superiority, kind of Jewish superiority in the Talmud, and if it's universal, if there are other views of the, the goyim that are more humanizing. Let me say a few things. First, that's basically, this is uh, the, what launched us to this, to this project to begin with, right? Our, our very uh, thorough, I would say, uh, moral discontent with the idea of the the goy that uh, as as you said is not a neutral distinction right it is value uh, it, it is full with value uh, uh, judgment so basically what what our project is about is trying to reconstruct the way israelite made distinction before the goy took over right and of course we end with a, a kind of a we didn't actually go there, but we 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 end with this call for you know political imagination of how the Jew could look like right without the goy right as part of a multiplicity rather than of a binary uh, division. So so that's kind of the horizon horizon of the so so yes um, the, the the distinction itself is is full with value judgment. However, I I want to make two caveats. One is that we find much less explicit statements uh, against Goyim in rabbinic literature than in pre-rabbinic literature. Uh, There are some, but not very many. And most of the engagement with Goyim, certainly in in the Mishnah, are just kind of um, factual, um, trivial kind of. And for us, the reason for that is that that the goy is self-explanatory. You don't need all these, you know, um, denigrating. It, it just, you have the, the, the conceptual border, okay? And here there is a split between us and uh, I would say most scholars, because most scholars are uh, are engaged with attitude toward goyim. Okay, that's, it's a huge issue. It's everywhere. And they show, and I think justly so, that there is all kinds of attitude, more positive, more negative, more chauvinistic, more open, more universalistic. There's a very uh, important book by Mark Hirschman 
about the school of Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Ishmael, that the school of Rabbi Akiva is more exclusivistic and the school of Rabbi Ishmael is more universalistic. But for us, this is the, you know, the second question. The first question is, why, right? Why uh, make this distinction to begin with? If it, again, the, the scholars assume that it's an obvious distinction. It is not, right? And so, so for us, this is the main question, the very distinction rather than the, the characteristic of, now to the barbarian. So as you already um, understand, we are, we're not content with, you know, like general statements about that all cultures make distinctions and uh, the self is always right defined in opposition to, the, we want to look at this distinction in their historical, right? A specific meaning. And so that's what we do also with the Greek barbarian. We compare and contrast it to the, to the Goy, and we see some very interesting similarities and probably even influence because the, the daily benediction, Shaloh Asani Goy, right, who is not, uh, did not make me a, a Gentile, is very similar to a tradition about Socrates or, or Thales, or there's a, uh, several traditions about a, a very similar daily blessing that has made me a Greek rather than a barbarian. So, of course, it's, and, and Paul also, of course, make this comparison between the, at the beginning of Romans, between the Greek barbarian and the, and the Jew uh, Gentile distinction. However, there's some very fundamental uh, differences also. For example, we don't find in the uh, Greek reflection about the barbarians a theological tone of chosenness. It's about culture, it's about language, sometimes it's even about physics, right? But it's not about theology. So, and of course, bringing theology into the table changed the whole thing, right? Because now it's not me, it's God right it's it's his story it's not my it's not a cultural story right and 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 therefore also the idea of hellenization becomes much more problematic but because if there is an inherent distinction between jews and gentile you can't bridge it through just you know study or or culture or you have to in a way be reborn and that's the way the rabbis Imagine the convert as a, as a as a kind of reborn individual. A, a girl who converted is like a baby who was just born. So we try to co- compare and contrast this uh, distinction in their uh, in their uh, kind of specific cultural historical meaning. But of course, for us, the most uh, central distinction is that Greeks. Do not say to this very day, right, in in the morning benediction, who has made me a Greek rather than a barbarian. Jews do. And so the Goy is with us. The Goy is alive and and kicking. And and that was, for us, the major drive to, uh, to cope with this concept. 
They go on to talk about some of Professor Rosensby's other publications that address topics such as evil, demonic forces, and gender hierarchy in rabbinic text. They even get into a little modern-day Israeli politics, but you'll need to go listen to the full roundtable talk to explore those ideas. After a robust discussion about the clear distinctions between people, so between Jew and Goy, or male and female, they conclude with a recognition that for modern people, they may not want to demonize anyone. And yet, we are influenced by these ancient texts and the traditions passed down to us. So I really appreciated Dr. Gruber's final question. He said, Do you have any recommendations today for someone who is thinking about all these ancient texts, the history, the influence on our own thinking, and the dissonance that may arise to what we feel to be appropriate morality? Yeah, it's it's a great question, and it's a it's it's a it's a crucial question. Um, and I I, I want to say two things. One is that what I try to show in all my books, in the most non-apologetic way possible, is that this culture, the culture that I'm I deal with, you know, day in and day out, the rabbinic literature, is complicated, and it has you know many layers and many voices. And it is deeply reflexive. And, you know, these questions about the Yetzir, about gender, about ethnic distinctions, are questions that they themselves ask. And some of these critiques are, you know, critiques that they uh, themselves rise. So I try to show this culture, not in any, you know, kind of uh, glorious way, or uh, but in all its complexity. And showing it, I think, in all its complexity is, is, is a good antidote to Judaism say this, Judaism believe in that, Judaism. We have to engage these cultures in their specificity, in their, you know, multiplicity of, of voices, in their uh, self-critique and self-reflection, uh, etc. That's one thing. The other thing I want to, to say is that in a way, Our mission, if I can use this strong term, as historians, is exactly to de-essentialize these traditions, okay? And to read them in their historical, cultural um, context. Because that's exactly the the issue with the Goy, that unless you dig into this concept, it seems like, you know, a kind of natural force. It's just there. And so our our roles as mission, as I said, as as uh, intellectual historians, uh, historians of 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 concepts of ideas, is to show that it came from somewhere, right? And the Jews and Israelites made distinction before the goy, and possibly could make distinction after the goy too, right? So there is nothing obvious. There is nothing irresistible. There is nothing. Uh, necessary in 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 these distinctions, and and Jews can um, continue being observant and and committed, and you know as they were before the rabbis, and in a way before uh, Paul, without this one mega uh, dichotomous distinction of of either a Jew or a Gentile. 
If you want to explore this conversation further, there is a direct link to this roundtable talk in the episode notes. All of this talk about Jew and Gentile, who is in or who is out of a community, makes me think of several of the courses with IBC that deal with Paul, his context, theology, and writings. For sure, explore the Jewish Apostle Paul, or the course called Stories of the Jewish Church, or go back and listen to some of the early podcast episodes in which Pinchas Shir and I talk about some of Paul's seemingly contradictory writings to the Galatians and Romans. This is part of the beauty of IBC's programs. From the comfort of your own home and at your own pace, you can take classes and within a year earn a certificate in Jewish context and culture. Thank you to Jeremy McDonald from Mason Jar Music for editing, mixing, and adding in all the good music. And thank you for hanging out with me and being curious about all things Bible-related. <laughs>